It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. The shoot-around. Welcome back to the club. We have an exciting episode for you all. It's our very first interview on the podcast. Our guest is Fear the Sword writer Jackson Flickinger. Jackson is one hell of a writer and has an impressive understanding of the game. We're lucky to have him on the show. Before we bring on Jackson, we wanted to take a moment and thank all of our subscribers. Here at the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast, we've been humbled in seeing our viewership grow. And we want all of you to know that we have big plans moving forward. Our interview today is an example of what we're hoping to start offering more consistently on the pod. Well, as we said, we get to do our very first interview today on the podcast with Jackson. In a moment, he's going to join us. We hope everybody enjoys this conversation we're going to have. In the future, we hope to have an opportunity to talk with people who cover the Cavs and are just as passionate fans as we are. We hope you enjoy it. Yeah, Jackson's, as we mentioned, is a heck of a writer. He's a fun follow on Twitter as well and just really knows the team. As we said, we've got an interview today. We're super excited to have Jackson on. We're hoping it goes really well. Glad to be here. Can't wait for the season to start and can't wait to talk some Cavs. Yeah, it's an exciting time for sure. I'll jump into the questions that we have for you because I think we have an awful lot to cover and they're probably going to branch off into other questions as well. So our first one is obviously about Mitchell. What are your thoughts? So originally when it was floated out there that the Cavs uh, were interested in Mitchell, I had some hesitations just because we have a glaring hole on the wing and um, Mitchell isn't a wing and there really isn't a good path to getting a wing and it's it can be tough to compete in the Eastern Conference without one. I've come around on that idea that Mitchell is the missing piece. My thinking for coming around on that is just the success that the Cavs had when they have had two ball handlers in the lineup with the front court. Rubio had a really big impact on this team when he was out there last season, I think it was an oversized impact for what he was actually providing just because he was somebody else who could play with Garland, who could run an offense, he could create his own shot, he can create shots for others, and then you also have Garland out there who can do those things. When he left, it wasn't necessarily, oh, we're, you know, the Cavs are losing somebody who has substandard, you know, shooting splits and averages like 12, 13 points a game. Like, that shouldn't be the hardest hole to fill. But it was because they didn't have anybody out there who could do those things. Mitchell's not setting up an offense like Rubio is, but he's creating his own shots. He's putting pressure on the defense. He's getting into the paint. He's collapsing the defense. He's able to kick it out to, to teammates. He's able to take pressure off Garland. He's able to do a lot of the things 
that I believe made the Rubio and Garland pairing work out so well. You have two high engines on offense that can take over the game offensively in transition and in half court. You have those two guys, and then you pair them with two backline defenders like Allen and Mobley. Well, if you have that, does it matter as much? Ideally, I still would rather have someone like Jalen Brown. I would have rather had that, you know, had them trade for somebody like that. But, you know, that wasn't available. And this isn't a trade that you could make next offseason, hoping that a wing became available. So it's like, you look at what's out there, and Mitchell was the guy who was available, and this is the time the Cavs needed to make the move. There will be some growing pains, but overall, this is something that should Theoretically, it it should work out really well long-term. Something that you mentioned in your most recent article about Colin Sexton, which I think is maybe a more apt comparison because to me they're very similar players. Maybe even have the same faults defensively as well. But clearly the Cavaliers, even though they had bought in and invested so much into Sexton, they decided to ship him off for somebody like Mitchell. So How do you feel about that? The fact that we've kind of traded these guys one for one. And to me, they're going to try to just pencil Mitchell into where Sexton should have been all through last year. But due to injury, they didn't get a chance to to see that offense. It really is a shame that we weren't able to see Colin in that role. Theoretically, he should have fit in that role, but it's not something that we've seen him really do. And, you know, by the same token, it's not something that we've seen Like, we haven't seen Mitchell kind of take an off-ball role, but I don't think Mitchell is going to be taking that off-ball role. When you have somebody who is as dynamic of a score as Mitchell is and as high volume of a score as Mitchell is, you're not really going to move him off-ball. I really like Sexton. I think that he is a great scorer, but what he does best doesn't always translate to the most offensive success. He's someone who has made great strides in his three-point shooting ability, but he's not somebody who is stretching defenses by pulling up off the dribble two, three feet behind the line. Uh, He's someone who does his best when he's getting downhill, getting to the basket. As we've kind of seen, because he's not like the best passer, he hasn't shown that he can take that skill and use that to break a defense, kick it out, you know, run an offense really smoothly. So with Sexton, it's the conversation is more always – We've seen what he can do, and he can do this at a high level. If he starts doing this, then he could become an all-star. He could be the perfect guy for this team. Whereas Mitchell is 20% better at the things that Colin Sexton was good at, and we've kind of seen him do it in a winning system, on a winning team. You're training somebody in Sexton who you hope could become Donovan Mitchell, or you could trade for Donovan Mitchell and hope Donovan Mitchell in a different situation with another dynamic scorer like Garland, maybe he can take his game to another level. And you hope that you're not just getting Jazz out of Mitchell, you're getting Cavs out of Mitchell, which is which could be a better version of that. You know, I think there's some nuance there, you know, makes it like, oh, Sexton isn't Mitchell like because they do a lot of different things. Yeah, I think too, in the way that you wrote this most recent piece on Fear the Sword. Adam and I were commenting that you kind of just paid so much respect to what Sexton is as a player and what he might become and also got into, you know, his what Sexton came into. And I think, too, for me, what I really enjoy about Mitchell and what people kind of alluded to in Media Day is all of the on 
the court stuff that you're discussing. But then for me and what Adam and I have mentioned for sure is one of the most important things is he's been in the playoffs so much compared to the rest of this Cavs roster, and he's been the primary player there. He's definitely an intriguing player. I think Adam and I, we actually had to record two episodes the week that we got Mitchell because we had a prior episode that was basically saying, well, they're not really going to do this, and here's why. Um, <laughs> and then what was the next day, Adam? That was like, oh, they did this, and here's why. The day we dropped the episode, yeah. That's how Kobe likes to do things, though. He never right. actually lets you know beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's just proof that Kobe listens, so... Um, <laughs> You wrote in one of your most recent articles that the Cavs are at a rebuild mode, and I really agree with that. But is there anything coming up in this season that you'll be looking out for where you might be concerned that they might be slipping back into that type of mode? There's always a concern in the NBA. Two years in the, in the, in the NBA is an eternity you never know what could happen so you can't say these guys they're 26 and under they should be a contender for the next 10 years because that's foolish because we know that things like this happen where guys get together and they don't mesh you know somebody wants out somebody gets hurt you never really know what is going to happen i would say the Cavs for the next two or three years they're going to be committed to this core like this is a move that you make because you're going all in on this core and you're going to stay committed to that for at least throughout Mitchell's contract or at least the first two years of Mitchell's contract. If things are going bad, that's something that you would possibly pivot out of in the last year of his contract, which would be 2025, I believe. Maybe you try to make a trade, try to recoup some of the assets you gave out to get Mitchell in the first place, providing you still have either Garland or Mobley on the team. You probably wouldn't be entering a rebuild, but you would be kind of transitioning on from that core and trying to go in a new direction, kind of like the Sixers. They got Embiid. They got Simmons. Okay, let's bring in Jimmy Butler. Okay, that we weren't able to keep Jimmy <laughs> Butler. Now let's transition to this. Oh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid don't like each other. Now let's get rid of Ben Simmons. Now we have James Harden. I think the Cavs, if things don't work out and they're able to keep Mobley and Garland together, you're going to be kind of transitioning throughout that type of mode mm. instead of going to a full, all right, LeBron left. Our team sucks. Let's kind of get rid of everybody. <laughs> you know, like they shouldn't be in that position again for as long as Mobley and Garland want to be here. They shouldn't be in that position. But again, in the NBA, you never know what's going to happen. So you can't say, well, they should be good for the next five years. Should be good for the next seven years. It's like, you just don't know. That's kind of the way it could go wrong. And that's how you would get into a full rebuild mode. So I don't see that happening in the next few years, but you never know with this team and the NBA in general. I wrote that question kind of in a way from the perspective that you kind of just hit on, which is something that Cavs fans are going to need to get used to, which is LeBron isn't here. And so I'm still dealing, I think a little bit, what you touched on was the aftershock of a non-LeBron team well, that means that at a drop of a hat, if this player is gone, we suck. <laughs> so I think that there's a level of realizing, oh, no, if they keep certain pieces, if they kind of 
meld certain players together. It's not like the team would drop off a cliff necessarily. Mobley and Garland, that pairing is obviously very important. And the way that they talk about Mobley is on the same level, if not near the same level as as early LeBron. So I agree with all of that. Mobley's the key to how fast this team can compete. How good he becomes is the key to how far they can go. Like most guys going into their second year, they make noticeable improvements. If he makes noticeable improvements, if he keeps the same level of play on the defensive end, if he's able to be a better rebounder, that's something that he has struggled with, especially without Allen out there. If he's able to take a step forward there, able to maybe get out more on the perimeter, guard some more wings. We saw him at the end of last year in the top of that 3-2 zone. They're playing the Celtics. We need somebody to guard Jason Tatum. I wouldn't expect him to do that all game, but in the fourth quarter of a tight game, is he able to take that assignment? And then on the offensive end, it's a little clear what he needs to do a better job of. He did a good job of finishing at the rim. His free throw shooting, three-point shooting, we know that's a problem. No, you're generally not going to just go from as bad of a shooter as he was to a great shooter in one year. So that wouldn't be what I would think is going to improve drastically. But if he could do better in the in-between game, working in the high post, he was a good playmaker in the high post, wasn't really a good scorer. If he takes a step forward in those areas and then becomes an all-star caliber player, okay, well, how good can this team be? This team should win a playoff series. This team should have home court advantage in the first round. But at the same time, if he's the same player he was last year, which was a very good player, they're probably going to be in a fight for home court advantage to stay out of the play. And it kind of all just depends on Mobley. And then by the same token, if in two years he's one of the 10 best players in the league, two, three years, he takes that leap. Okay, well, this is a team that can win a title. You know, If he doesn't, then it's probably just a very good team, which would be welcome in Cleveland because it's nice to watch a really good team on a daily basis. It really does all hinge on Mobley, in my opinion, but if you're going to have it hinge on somebody, I'd bet on Mobley's upside. With a week of practice under their belts, what have the players been saying in their post-workout interviews that has you the most excited? So I'm really excited about how enthusiastic everybody is. I think that Garland is in a great headspace, Mitchell, Mobley. Everybody understands that this team is young and needs to still prove a lot, but they're all getting along really well. They're all meshing, and they all kind of say the same things in a positive way that builds on what others say in the organization. What JB is laying out in his interviews is being discussed in the players' interviews as well. So I was really happy to see that they're all giving credit to each other, and even though they're super intense on the floor and trying to actually play really well and figure each other out on the floor and and mesh, they're also getting along outside of uh, the court And that's really important. That chemistry is still intact. Something you and I have discussed a lot is, especially around the rumor of Mitchell being brought in, is would the chemistry still be the same? So you're bringing in a guy who is arguably a top 20 player in the NBA, and there are fears of that. And it sounds like people really aren't skipping a beat. Now that could change when the season is in full swing, but... 
I'm just really happy that everybody seems to be on the same page and understands how they all want to have success here this season. Yeah, I agree. I think the enthusiasm is palpable. The fact that they all seem to really enjoy playing with each other. Yes, it's just practice. Right now it's a lot of fun because they're a hot button thing. They're a hot ticket item within the news. Everybody wants to cover them. And finally, the hard work, the time put in by the organization and by these players is being recognized. All because they added a piece. The fact that that player and even Robin Lopez and Neto and a few of these others, they're all kind of saying the same thing, which is, yeah, it's just fun. These guys all love to play together, and it's the right mentality here. The organization has created the correct culture for winning basketball to flourish. And I especially heard from Donovan Mitchell on two different occasions where he hit hard on the fact that the coaches are really putting in the hardest work over this last week, week and a half, that he sees that how they're trying to get the guys in the right positions and to learn the playbook and everything they're hoping to achieve this year. That's another big one for me that the players are constantly saying, you know, the coaches are just really knocking it out of the park for us today. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the last time I heard players stop to talk about the coaching staff first yeah. <laughs> when they just stopped to talk about their practice together. Speaking of the coaches, I also enjoyed that they are putting an impotence on conditioning and saying that they really want to use that as a weapon because of the youth of this squad. And they want to make sure that this team is able to stay in a good endurance level throughout the entire game and not drop off in the fourth quarter. That should be helpful for health as well, because usually when professional athletes, besides freak injuries, kind of like what happened to Rubio last season, usually there's a level of endurance in some of those issues or those injuries because their body's just tired, they're mentally tired, so they might not have the correct placement or the right follow-through during certain games, and so sometimes injuries kind of pop up because of that. So I was happy to hear that as well. And you saw kind of the genesis or the, the early days, stages of them trying this concept of, yeah, you're a starter, but your starting minutes are going to be very small. We're going to keep you to a minimum as much as we can because – not only are we trying to get you through the whole season and into hopefully the playoffs, but we also have a guy like Rubio on the bench or Love on the bench or any of these other players, Levert now on the bench, that we need to get minutes in for them too. So I really like that way of playing. I'm excited for the Cavs for the fact that not every night do they have to meet their full minutes, that they've got to play a full 40. And I think you saw that in the beginning of the season before the injuries started piling up, that they were really able to manage minutes very well. So again, because of how deep we are as a team, barring massive injuries, we should see more of that this season. Is there something that you're looking for in the preseason related to what the players have been saying? Like, is there anything you're excited about for these preseason games that are coming up? Well, I was excited to see what Evan Mobley was going to do offensively, but he, uh, as we mentioned earlier, has an ankle injury. So I don't know. <laughs> um how that'll shake out. I'm kind of excited to see where Jarrett Allen is in his offensive skill set 
You and I talked about him in the last podcast about just how he approaches the game. He just is a player that seems like he's always trying to improve himself during the offseason, takes stock to see how he fits on the team, how he fits on a roster and wants to improve. And I think Allen, I'm really intrigued how he improves with his back to the basket. If his hook shot is a little bit better, maybe his mid-range is a little more consistent. Because if he is able to just move up in like a 5% better offensive rating per se, I think that that could unlock this team even more because of the fact that you would have two bigs who not only are dangerous on the defense, but you can't overlook offensively. And you couldn't really even do that with Allen last year, but if he's able to kind of take advantage of that and be aggressive in that capacity, that's what I would be intrigued to see in the preseason. The final seconds. Watching NBA games is challenging due to blackouts. Cavs season ticket holders will now be given Bally Sports Plus for free. Does this do anything? Yeah, I don't think this does much, if anything. I think that Bally Sports should have contracts with YouTube and FUBU or FUBO and other carriers because most other sports leagues and sports companies like this that show games should have these contracts. You had shared an article with me that talked about how Sinclair Media was not able to actually have any of these contracts set up because they had disagreements on payment. Well, come on. We know you're you're making a lot of money on this. Fans are owed some level of appreciation by getting good access to watching the games. And I just am tired of of the fact that it's so difficult to watch NBA games and my favorite team because of a CEO is upset with how much money a CEO is getting. Come on. I totally agree, especially this concept that you turn on your television or you go to stream the game for the team that you live locally by and you can't watch the game, that it's forcing you yeah. out of your house. We just went through a pandemic where you couldn't even leave your home, and now we're being forced out of our homes to go watch a game. For me, you know, I have some issues with uh, some of the class problems that we have in America, and without getting into politics here, because we try not to do that on this podcast, I just kind of felt like, oh, yeah, more of the same. Of, of course, the people that can afford season tickets are going to get mm-hmm. – Bally's plus for free like they already get to go to the games they already are going to see a Mm -hmm. bunch of games this year this doesn't help the problem which is the people that don't have the money don't have the means that just need a more affordable accessible option at home accessibility is the way to create your fan base for future generations and children should be able to have easy access to these games and Children, first and foremost, are not going to the bars at night to catch this when it's a blackout. Mobley will be bringing the ball up the court and shooting from the perimeter this season. How will that change the Cavs' offense overall? It's going to be exciting. Number one, it's going to feel like Showtime Lakers or NBA Jam or I don't know. The guy's a seven-footer that has the finesse and touch of a point guard. He clearly can dribble the ball better than any big I've really ever seen, especially at his age and 
you know, the fact that he's just out of college and the idea that they're already saying, oh, yeah, coach had me working on this. This is a major part of our game plan going into this coming season. They want to use me in this way. I know Jackson and others don't feel that there should be a big increase to his perimeter shot this year, but I think that the Cavs actually stressed to him over the offseason that they really wanted to see an improvement there. Now, when you think about a guy that only shoots about 60 to 80 threes in a year, which that's about what he did last year. Previous to that, he shot 40 in college, and he made 12 of them. So he doesn't take a lot anyway. He doesn't have a lot of experience of needing to take them. So just the fact that he's been working on his perimeter game and he already has the ball handling skills that we know he came in with, this is an exciting development that, very similarly to what we've talked about in the past of how jokingly, but also seriously the this Cavs organization continues to do things that are akin to what we would have tried in 2k back in the day of like, Hey, this guy has this ability. We should see if it works. Whereas nobody used to give it a shot. And it's such an exciting time to live now in, in an NBA that can recognize a player like Mobley that he really is a one through five superstar in the making oh for sure i think that it'll help solidify a little bit of his confidence it'll help him gain more confidence especially just bringing the ball up the floor because we know he's a really good passer that's what i'm most excited about if his perimeter shot comes along and it is much more solid and timely compared to last season that is to me icing on the cake i i believe that he will become a good perimeter shooter but I think bringing the ball up the floor and utilizing his already great passing, that will make the defense just be a little off kilter against the Cavs. So I think that Mobley will be able to utilize that off kilterness and actually attack the team in a new look and a new way that is fun and exciting. It's a lot of fun just to see all the elements of the game that Mobley is just going to keep unlocking. He's like an RPG character. Apparently, the Cavs are interested in acquiring Jay Crowder from the Phoenix Suns. Thoughts on this idea? Well, you would think that I would learn my lesson from the whole Donovan Mitchell scenario where I kind of was not too keen on getting Mitchell. And I would say, hey, I'm welcome to this. I am completely anti-getting Jay Crowder. I know that he did not play well for the Cavs when he was here for, I think, four games when he was playing with LeBron. Basically, it looked like he was here for four games. He didn't make an impact at all. I think that he plays on a really, really, really good Suns team that has fantastic defenders around him that make him look like a better defender historically he's a solid defender but he's not a lockdown defender anymore and i believe he also played power forward more for the suns than small forward so that doesn't help the Cavs at all because they need a three they don't need a four and if he is playing four for the Suns that means he doesn't have enough speed to stay in front of threes so that's another glaring issue that I have and he's a player that clearly is not happy with his situation and has been pretty vocal about that and i alluded to chemistry at the top i would think that 
the more he talks, the more the Cavs would understand that the chemistry would be really negatively impacted by the Cavs by acquiring him. Was I too harsh on this? No, I don't think you've been too harsh. I think my way of thinking is in line with yours. The very brief moments that he was here, I have no good memory of. And uh, right now, he is the type of disgruntled player that I'd hate to have him bring that feeling to the team chemistry that we have going on. I don't see the Cavs needing to add a piece right now. I know that they may. Anytime we have an opinion, uh, like we did with Sexton, it could easily change tomorrow. I think right now they have everything they kind of need to keep the status quo as far as the team chemistry and the ability to come into the season where they're really only kind of nurturing Mitchell's needs. Bringing in a guy like Crowder right now I think is just kind of unnecessary. And, um, you know, for me, a 6-6 small forward power forward is just not all that exciting. We're the number sixth defensive team in the league. And I don't think adding Mitchell is going to make us all that worse. So I don't think we need to add a guy like Crowder to shore up our defense. And he's not going to give us anything on offense. So I don't understand why we would trade for him. Chris Feeder believes the starting small forward spot is between Wade and Okoro. Who do you want? Well, I believe that I've kind of answered this from previous moments in the pod tonight, but I'll state it again. I believe Isaac Okoro should be uh, slotted back into that role and it basically in giving some thought to what happened with Laurie Markinen coming in that's really kind of the only situation that I can think of where a rookie is assigned to guard you know a position that really has some of the best players in the league that you're going to be coming up against every night and he adequately defended that that position his entire rookie season um I think that he would have had just as much growth and just as much opportunity if he had stayed in that role going into his sophomore year. And the fact that Laurie coming onto the team kind of knocked him off from that position, from that, uh, that place on the team. I think he spent the rest of the year trying to figure out where he belonged. And even JB has recently said that, you know, they kind of put him in a box and didn't really allow him to grow the way that he needed to. So I think letting him out of that box is now putting him back in the three position and giving him that opportunity to grow there and prove that it should really be taken from him or not. If he really pencils in well this year, I think you could see him staying there for the life of this iteration of the Cavs. Yeah, I lean toward Okoro as well, mainly because of a lot of what you just said. I find Wade intriguing in certain matchups. I think that there are teams where... I could make the case having Wade as the starter that night could flummox the other team in in an intriguing way. But I think that Isaac is ready from everything that we're hearing, from everything that we're seeing in training camp. This will be his third year. He has shown the ability to have some growth in his game. He is a much more dynamic player or has the potential to be a more dynamic player than Dean Wade, and that excites me. So I would lean toward Isaac as well, and I think by the end of the season, he will be considered a starting caliber small forward by the rest of the league. 
Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!